0: Today, we continue in the series that I'm calling Pin It, and we're thinking about how not just Pinterest, which is one of the social media platforms, but other social media affect us and how they make us sort of look at other people and who we are and what we have. Now, one of the most popular categories on Pinterest is home decorating, and you can find all kinds of inspiration there. They talk about living rooms and bedrooms, they talk about rooms that you probably don't even have in your house. For instance, there is some inspiration that you could find for a pet bedroom. And I don't mean a little boy's bedroom decorated in doggies and puppies, right? I'm talking about a bedroom for Fido, okay? Most of us don't have that, right? But that's sort of the way it works is that there throughout the categories, and this, this again goes through all social media, is we see people who have, well, they have a lot more than we do. If you've got room for... A dog bedroom, you probably got a little more room than most of us do in our houses, right? And so we see people online, we see them traveling to different places, and we see them with a new car or new house, and and maybe if we're not really careful, part of our gut reaction is, and why do they have so much? Why are they planning their next European trip, and I'm just trying to make it to payday, right? Why is it that way? I mean, it's not so much that you wish they didn't have what they have. That's fine. But why does it seem so unequal? And that can begin to translate into our thinking about what we have. You know, most of us, if we look around the world, we recognize that virtually everyone who will be in this building today is rich compared to 50% of the world that lives on $2 a day or less right? It's not much money. And we have far more than that. So we know that's true. And yet, if we're pretty honest with ourselves, we would say, it doesn't always feel like we're rich, right? It doesn't always feel like we have excess. Compared to the rest of the world, we know we do. We know that's true. We know it in our heads. But when we look around us, it's easy to compare what we have to other people and feel like we just don't have enough. That there are people around us who have more. And it's true. No matter what you have, you can look around and find someone who has more. Who is doing more. Who is enjoying more of their wealth than we are. That's just reality. And that can make us sort of discontent. That can make us a little bit ungrateful because we wish we had what someone else has. And we live in a culture in which, well, we spend a lot of money. And in fact, lots of things are becoming more extravagant. If you look at the size of houses that are being built in our country today, if you look back a few years, what you find is they're much bigger. They're much grander. That's just the way it is, right? We expect more than we did a few years ago. Look at the celebrations of life. And most of us who have been around and been around church for a while, or really anybody, we can can see that if you look back at weddings the way they were 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, they are much grander events than they used to be. Look at an anniversary celebration. Look at a baby shower. Look at a gender reveal. And it's all so extravagant. We like that. We look at TV programs that show us luxurious homes and cars, and we want all that. You know, I look at those weddings, and I have couples who come to me and say, We just can't afford to get married. And what they mean is, We can't afford to have a big reception. And I want to say, and I do sometimes, I can get you married pretty cheap, okay? (laughs) That doesn't cost that much. But we want more. We want the extravagant. And it's easy to feel like we just don't have enough. And that that changes the way we understand life if we're not careful. Because when we get to that point, then it feels like I'm missing out. My life is just incomplete. My life is not as good as somebody else because I don't have what they have. Now, the thing is, when we think about that, human beings have been struggling with that for a very long time. It is not anything new. Sometimes it just feels like my life is not going to measure up to what other people have. So what does Scripture have to say about that? And today I'd like to look at just a couple of passages that I think speak into this and help us understand what we have and how we should approach it. The first one is found in the book of Hebrews. You know, like most New Testament letters, what we find in Hebrews is... A pretty long sort of theological doctrinal section in the writer of Hebrews who is unnamed to us. We don't know who wrote this early Christian book, but what we do know is they write a lot about Jesus and who Jesus is and how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of, of the Messiah and how he, he was in the line of David, all these things about Jesus. And then he says, okay, if you follow Jesus, this is what your life should look like. And so we have that in the second part of the book. And we come down to Hebrews 13. What we find is the author is writing about just some basic principles about Christian living. There's some stuff about marriage and all kinds of things. And then we come to chapter 13, verse 5, and it says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now what that tells me is that people in the first century were dealing with feelings, thoughts, and emotions that are very much like the ones that we deal with today. That they fell in love with money just like people do today. And we've seen that, right? We've seen people who just like this, just like the author says, keep your lives free from the love of money. We know people who are in love with money and the things that money can buy. And maybe if we're honest, there are times when we've fallen in love with money. We've fallen in love with what we could purchase. We've fallen in love with how much money is in the bank. And we've seen that in the lives of other people. Maybe we've seen it in ourselves. And the writer of Hebrews says that's a dangerous path to walk down because it takes you away from God. And he says instead of being in love with money... Be content with what you have. Now there's the challenge, isn't it? Be content with what you have. In other words, God has blessed every single one of us. God has blessed us with certain resources. Now that's true in lots of different areas of life. That's not just true with money. That's true with some of our talents and abilities. That's a resource. We have time that we can use. That's a resource. And then we have financial resources. And we have been blessed with certain financial resources. And the writer of Hebrews says what we need to be is content with what God has given us. Well, our inclination is to be anything but content because we look around and wish we had stuff and money that other people have. And instead, the writer says, look what you've got, see that as a blessing, and use that. In other words, be happy with the life you've got rather than wishing you had a different life. Now that translates into all kinds of areas of life, but today we're talking about money. So, you know, we would like more. Every one of us. We sort of like money, if we're honest. But the writer of Hebrews says, God's blessed you with a certain amount. Learn to be happy with that. Learn to be content with what God has given you. I also want us to look over in 1 Corinthians 11. And as we think about this whole concept that never seems like we have enough, never seems like we can get what we want, we come to 1 Corinthians 11, and that passage is one that we read during our Lord's Supper observance lots of times, because Paul deals with that in this passage, and he deals with it in a, in a very clear way about what it means to take the Lord's Supper. But he's dealing with a specific problem in the church in Corinth. And maybe you've studied this before, but what's going on is they're coming together as a body of believers, a community of faith, and they're going to take the Lord's Supper, but they make that part of a bigger meal. And it's not like we talked about maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago that. They come in and everybody brings a dish and they lay it out on the table and you go down the line and you share. That's not the way it worked, okay? It's like everybody brings their picnic basket, they find a corner of the room, and then they eat their own food and you don't share, okay? It's a little hard for us to imagine doing that, but that's exactly what was going on. Now, there was great disparity in the early church between people who were wealthy and people who had nothing. You had a good many slaves in the ancient church, okay? And then you had people who had a lot. In fact, a lot of times, the church would meet in the homes of people who had more. And so people come in and, well, you got some people who have a pretty nice meal. Maybe they brought their prime rib. And you got somebody else who has, you know, peanut butter sandwich. And it didn't seem right. In fact, you might have people who had nothing. And the people with more... We're not sharing with the people who had nothing. And Paul saw that, and he says basically, this is not the Lord's Supper. There's no way that you can come around the table and remember Jesus through His body and His blood if that's what you've just done. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, so when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. In other words, this can't even be the Lord's Supper the way you're treating one another. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or are you to despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So what's the application for us? You know, it's not just... On social media, that we look around and see what other people have. It's not just home decorating or, or the, the sites that deal with cars or anything else that we could spend a clothes, we could spend a lot of money on. It's also when we have human interaction. When we look around and we know someone who has a lot more. And you know, we have to be really careful about the way we treat people. And whether we are making people feel bad because they have little or making people feel bad because they have much. And I've seen both, right? I've seen situations in church where you have people who have pretty good means come together and those who don't have that feel completely left out because you got a group talking about new cars and new homes and you got people talking about vacations and all these things that they're going to buy and do and the person who has less, they got nothing to add to that conversation because they're not spending that kind of money and they feel bad. That should not happen in the church. And then I've been in other situations where people almost sort of compete for how little they have or how little they had sometime in their life, and those who have had more resources are almost made to feel guilty because of it. That's not healthy either. Whenever we make people feel bad, whenever we shame people for what they have, basically Paul is saying that's not the church. Because that's not a group of people who can gather around the table and take the bread and the cup and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Instead, we've got to build each other up. So what does this teach us? If we look at both those passages and think about how the passage in Hebrews reminds us to be content and the passage in 1 Corinthians reminds us that we need to treat each other with respect regardless of our resources it's pretty simple here it is three words enough is enough so so if i've got what god has given me and it provides living indoors and food and clothing for my family, you know what that is? That's enough. And it's easy to want more. And it's easy to feel like it's unfair. And that person who has more, they're not a better person than me. Why did, All those questions we ask. And what we've got to remind ourselves is, if God has blessed me with this, and it is enough, live indoors, food to eat, clothes to wear. It's enough. And I can be content with that. I can be thankful for that. Now, I may have to work at that. I may have to train myself for that, but enough is enough. So how do we put that into practice in our lives? Three things that I think we can do. First of all, practice thankfulness. Be thankful for what God has given us. Now, a lot of times when we try to practice thankfulness, here's how it goes. I sure am thankful that I don't have to live like the people in, and then you insert some country where you know people are poor, right? Well, it seems like it's deeper than that to me. And that almost feels like our thankfulness is built on what other people don't have. And and to me, and I've said that before, okay, You, you may have heard me say that. And I don't want to make people feel bad for saying that. That's not my goal. But I've tried to stop saying that because my thankfulness is not based on what someone else doesn't have. My thankfulness is based on the fact that God has blessed me with enough. And enough is enough. And so my thankfulness is not in sort of relation to what someone else has. It's not because I have more than someone else. I'm thankful because of how God has blessed me. Just like the writer of Hebrews reminds us to just be content with what God has given us. And so we give thanks. God, I'm thankful that I had a way to get to church today. Maybe I drove my own car. You know, maybe I was just blessed enough to have a friend who brought me to church. There's a blessing. Most of us, if we weren't in too big a hurry, had something to eat this morning, right? Well, I'm blessed. Most of us know there's going to be food for the rest of the day. I'm blessed. Most of us know we're going to have a place to go this afternoon that's going to be warm and it's not going to be wet. That's enough. And I can be thankful for those things. I can be thankful for the way that God has blessed me. Number two, live simply. This is hard to do in our culture. When we live in a culture where we're almost trying to outdo each other on the parties, the celebrations, the stuff we have, the cars, the houses, to say, you know what, I'm not going to be in that competition. I'm not going to enter that rat race. What I'm going to do is I'm going to live within my means and maybe below my means so that I can help other people. And I'm going to live simply. I don't need two of everything when one will do. It's those kinds of conscious choices because we can always find something to buy. We can always find something to spend our money on. There's something you like, and you'd like a new one. Same here. And we have to make the conscious choice that I don't necessarily need more. I don't necessarily need better. I don't necessarily need new. And we have to make that choice. That's hard to do because our culture says, and we, if you watch any TV, open a magazine, read a newspaper, you're going to be told you need more. What you have is not good enough. You've got to make this purchase to make your life better. We have to make the choice to live simply and then finally give generously when we make the choice of giving something away we are saying i'm going to take what i have what god has blessed me with and it's not going to be mine anymore that's a conscious decision we make that choice and when we do we are saying my stuff is not as important as helping someone else Even my personal happiness is not important as meeting a need out there that I can meet with the resources God has given me. It helps us overcome the power of our discontent and our love of money. It says to us, if I've got enough, that's enough, and I can give some away. Now, talk about money today. Money's personal. And it may have felt like I've been meddling a little bit today. Well, I need to hear it just as much as you, so I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. But you know, when Scripture talks about what the Christian life looks like, it talks about real things, like the way we treat our spouses and the way we treat our children, the way we do our work, and even the way we spend our money. Because it matters. Because how we understand what God has given us has a dramatic effect on whether we trust Him. Has a dramatic effect on our relationship with Him. And that's why Scripture keeps bringing this stuff up. Because the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament knew human nature. And they knew that we would struggle with this. And they knew that so much around us would teach us enough is never enough. But that's a lie. Because when God blesses us and he gives us enough, that's always enough. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the blessings you've given us. Thankful that you gave us a way to get to church today, that we've got food to eat and a place to live. And God, help us to understand that that really is enough in this life to be content with what you've given us. We've got to overcome a lot of cultural pressure to do that, God, and we ask that you'd help us to do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the good news for us is that how we understand money is really just a reflection of the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. And we have been offered forgiveness and eternal life that transcends anything that we have in this life. And we have the opportunity to respond to that great gift today. And if if you'd like to respond to that, to what Jesus has offered you, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, we'd love to walk you through that process. Come forward, let us know as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.